We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Robert Bowman, and I'm a ministry resident here at Rolling Hills. In this series, we've been learning about some of the impactful conversations that Jesus had during his lifetime. In today's sermon, Pastor Chase focuses on Jesus' conversation with the leaders in Matthew 18 and how their lives influence the next generation. Now, here's Chase. How's it going, guys? Good morning. So uh, my name is Chase Baker, and um, for some of you, you probably don't know who I am, but I serve on staff as a family pastor here at Rolling Hills. I serve on a central role, which means I serve all of our campuses, which is an honor and privilege to do that. And, um, and I've been on staff for 10 years now, so I celebrated 10-year anniversary a couple weeks ago. It's been an honor and privilege to be able to serve this church family um, in this way. And so um, before we get into things, I thought I would introduce you to my family. And so, so this is a picture of my family. Um, my wife is Courtney. We have uh, the one in the yellow is Kit. She's almost five. And then Ellis is our COVID baby, okay? So we had her in December. And last year was really the only year that you could do this. You could um, go throughout the course of your pregnancy, have your baby, and nobody have a clue, which was... <laughs> awesome for us. We weren't on social media, so a lot of you, this is your first time to be like, oh, Chase had a baby. Oh, wow. So uh, she is three months old now, and so we, we uh, just, just love her. And, um, and, and so today, we are continuing this Easter series on conversations that Jesus had, life-changing conversations with, that Jesus had. And here's what I love. Jesus was always direct and intentional in his conversations. And it's sometimes his conversations were strange and left people scratching their heads. But there's not one time where Jesus didn't have an encounter with people and have a conversation where their lives weren't radically changed, where they weren't changed forever. And so we're going to look at one of those conversations. And here's the deal. Our conversations are made up of words. We know that. But our words also have power. Think about the conversations you had over the past week. How many of your conversations were life-giving? Now, how many of those conversations were just exhausting? We've had a lot of those conversations this past year, i got to tell you. Just drains you emotionally and sometimes just drains you physically. You see, our, our words have the ability to change lives or destroy them. Whether written or spoken, uh, spoken our words can take healthy environments and damage it. Our, our words can take healthy relationships and damage them. But... Words also have the, the, the power to heal. And so we look at the life of Jesus and the conversations that he had with people. And let me tell you something. Jesus, whenever he spoke, he gave life. Whenever he spoke, he gave purpose. And that's what we're going to look at today. One of those conversations, those strange conversations that Jesus had with his disciples is found in Matthew chapter 18 and 19. So you can turn in the copy of Scripture. It's going to be on the screen or your mobile device today. We're going to jump right into Before we do that, let me pray for our time um, over us. Father, we love you. As we rest in your word today, I pray that we are forever changed by it. Your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. I pray that we trust you today. Give us ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So, 
Up to this point in Matthew chapter 18, let me just tell you what's happened with the disciples and Jesus. Okay, Jesus obviously has called them. They've heard teachings of Jesus. They heard him talk about being Messiah. They heard all these things, but they've also seen something. They've also seen miracles of Jesus. They saw um, him heal the lame, him heal the blind. In fact, uh, calm weather like just set, call, calls the storm to stop. Now, he also fed thousands of people with just scraps of food. So they're seeing this happen. And another thing that happened in the life of Jesus, they saw these interactions and how Jesus approached people and was very compassionate and very loving towards people. But he also did this in the course. Before you get to 18, he tells his, tells his disciples, look, I want you to go do ministry now. You've been doing it with me for a while. You go out two by two. And guess what? I'm going to give you my power. So the disciples went out and they healed people, they cast out demons, all these things, and they came back and they reported it to Jesus. It was amazing. Another thing that happened before Matthew chapter 18 is the great, one of the greatest conversations Jesus had with his disciples. He said, um, who do people say that I am? You remember that conversation? Who do people say that I am? And Peter stands up and he says, uh, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. They're having incredible moments with Jesus. I just want us to... To, to understand that. They understand the magnitude of what it means to walk with Jesus and be in his ministry. And so they were like, man, we get to do this. We have purpose. This is awesome. And then something changes or something shifts. And I think they thought this all along. But, but just when you think they begin to understand it and get what their purpose is, they have this conversation with Jesus. And it's Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. You ready? Here it goes. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In other words, Jesus, we feel like there's a ranking system. We feel like there's a ranking system amongst us. And so if you would just do us a favor and just rank us a little bit, you see, in other conversations that they had in, throughout the Gospels about the greatest, you, you remember the story of James and John. They, they approached Jesus um, uh, really outside of the other disciples, and they approached Jesus, James and John, and said, Hey, um, whenever, you, whenever you get to your kingdom, whenever you build your kingdom, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? Because we, we, we really want to be great. But, but here's the thing. That's not that uncommon these days. We, we live in a culture, we live in a world where people want to be first, the best, the greatest. And as we look at it, it seems to be popular to define greatness as perceived success. If you have power, money, or status, then the world defines you as being great. The world defines you as, as being great. And greatness in the world's eyes is really about material possessions and accomplishments, right? That's what we get usually, and nothing, there's nothing wrong with these things. But it's really not the correct definition that Jesus is talking about here. Many of today's celebrities um, advocate for this notion of greatness. And we look at a guy, I have nothing against LeBron James. I think Michael Jordan is better than LeBron James, by the way. That's just my opinion. It's like, oh, yeah. Um, but LeBron James has a lot of influence in our culture. And so he has over 70 million followers on social media. Think about that. 70 million. He has influence in our culture. And after every one of his social media posts, he ends with this. Hashtag strive for greatness. Now, the world's definition and the culture's idea of greatness is vastly different than, than the greatness that Jesus is describing. 
How does Jesus respond to the disciples? This is how he responds. He said, he called a little one, little child to him and placed the child among them. And then he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes this lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes such child in my name welcomes me. In other words... Here's your first point. The greatest thing that you will ever do is become a child. Jesus, what are you talking about? Like I'm thinking if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, Jesus, this doesn't really make sense to me. It doesn't make sense that you would tell us that we have to go back. I mean, we're already here. We're already an adult. You're telling us to go back to being a child. That doesn't even make sense. And they're like, ah, oh, I get it. Jesus usually talks in illustrations. And he talks in parables. Oh, let's think about what a child is. Well, what is thing, one thing that describes the nature of a child? Dependent. Dependent. A child needs a parent's support, love, protection, all those things. But what else is in the very nature of a child? A child is innocent. You think about the innocence of a child. Like not being disrupted by the things of this world, but truly just innocent. Or, or a child is so trusting. You ever notice that about children? That's why my four-year-old daughter, I can, I can be in the pool and she'll jump to me in the pool. Because she's so trusting of me. Or a child tends to believe without complication, right? A child is humble. A child is content in the little things. I remember last year we went on a trip. to We, had a, we got a cabin, and it was a small little cabin, and we walked in, and my, my little girl was just amazed at this cabin, and, and she had to sleep on a rollout couch. Have you ever slept on a rollout couch before? It's really comfortable. <laughs> but she was like, this is so awesome, she got to sleep on a rollout couch. They're content in the little things. They have faith to move the mountains. They are awed by the majestic splendor of God. Something else is that a child takes heart God's word in its, all its simplicity. It's not complex. They don't make it complex. See, Jesus gave us one answer to greatness. He said, change. Let go of your past. Pursue him and become his child. You see, here's what the the problem is. Adults have the tendency to become cynical with age. We do. We have the tendency to become cynical with age. And a child is yet touched by the concerns and cares of this world. Just think about this. As a world, as a big arena. And we're in life's race to run with God and for God. But here's the thing. The older we get, the more hurdles and more concerns are placed in front of us. And here's what begins to happen. Those hurdles tend to slow us down. Tend to knock us off our stride. Maybe tend to make us give up completely in what should be a growing relationship with God. But we allow those things to kind of stop us. And Jesus is saying, the best way to grow in your relationship with me is to revert to a childlike faith. Not a childish faith. We know what childishness looks like. Very immature. But a childlike faith. Awe and wonder. Trusting. Innocent. Those things. So he said, revert to that. But here's what I love about this passage. It says, God not only wants you to become his child... What is he also saying? God wants to be your father. God wants to be your father. 
See, Jesus teaches a lot of things about God. And Jesus teaches one thing about God that, that he taught more than anything else. Over 189 times throughout the gospel, Jesus talks about God as God the Father. 189 times. So we look at the core text of what he's talking about. Remember that time whenever he talked to his disciples? He said, this is, this is how you should pray. Pray like this. Our Not just any father, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And then he said, if you see me, you have seen the Father, because I and the Father are one. Then he said this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Not your ruler, not even your Lord, not your king, your Father. Your Father in heaven. And in the life of Jesus, he shows us what a child of God really looks like. And if God is doing everything possible to give us a good picture of what a father-child relationship, guess what the enemy's doing? He's doing everything he can to destroy what that late relationship looks like. And here's the deal. If an enemy can crack up our concept of fatherhood, if he can crack that up, then some people may never overcome the impact of an earthly father compared to a, a heavenly father. The enemy's been really good at that lately. And there are different, maybe, examples of what an earthly father can do. And some of them are not all that great. And maybe you have that story. Maybe that's part of what's keeping you from fully trusting. And, and what are those different examples? Well, well, let's go over these. The first is an absent father. Maybe an absent father. This, this father is really not present. Not in the equation whether it's divorce, dysfunction, or disinterest, this father just not there. Or maybe it's an abusive father. Not only did this father not help us, this father harmed us. We have deep scars from this type of father. Or maybe the performance-based father. Oh yeah, this father will bless you, but only if you earn the blessing. If you do what I tell you to do, then you may get a hug. If you live up to my standards, then you may get an I love you. This is the performance-based father. And if you didn't meet up to my standards, guess what you got? You got something else. This father loved you based on what you did or didn't do. The, the other is the passive father. Yeah, yeah, this father's in the mix, but he really wasn't in the story. He really wasn't there, didn't really step in. And then the, the hard part is maybe his father modeled, modeled it after, for him. He didn't know any better. Then you have the next one, the antagonistic father. In fact, this father, you think, man, this father is not just against, uh, not just, you know, not there, but this father just seems to be against me, continues to chop me down, not build me up, not let me see my potential. But then there's another kind of father that's really closely resembles a, a, a heavenly father, and it's the empowering father. The empowering father. This father wasn't perfect, but he loved you, and you knew it regardless how well you did or how well you didn't do. He showed you, and he proved it. He was always there and this father did something unusual. This father figured out ways to coach and teach and lead and allow the child to see their potential. This was that kind of father. This dad, by the way, this dad wasn't a pushover. This dad said, we're not going to do that here. We're not going to do that stuff. But I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. 
that's what this dad did. But, but, but then this dad typically says, hey, hey, you're going to thank me one day for this. You don't understand it now. But later on, you're like, oh, yeah, thank you, dad, for doing that. See, here's the deal. We look at these different kinds of fathers. Some people may say, if God is like my dad, then I don't want him. And here's what I want to tell you. God is the perfect version of your earthly father. Louis Giglio said this. He said, um, God is not simply a reflection of your earthly dad. He's the perfection of your earthly dad. He always fulfills his problem. He's, his promises. He's always present. He always loves. In fact, his love goes further, faster. And what God is telling you to do, what Jesus is telling you to do right here, he said, become a child. Change and become a child. And then in the very next verse, he makes a pretty big declaration about his children, about protection of his children. And he says this, if anyone causes these little ones of mine, those who believe in me, to stumble or to sin or to fall, says this, it would, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. In other words, there's an importance of maintaining childlike faith. And if people mislead or tempt his children inside or outside the church, guess what? There is going to be Trouble. This is the most protective daddy statement in all of Scripture. One day, my little girl, who is five, is going to bring home one hairy leg, hairy arm, crackly voice, little boy, into my home. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit down with this boy. And I'm going to look this boy in the eye and say, you see that little girl there? That's my little girl. And if you do anything to hurt her, to harm her, to cause her to stumble, there's going to be trouble. I see it like that. You see, last week, uh, just a real quick side note, last week my daughter had her first boy play date. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is a picture. Like, they watch TV the whole time, but I was like, should I have a conversation with him? <laughs> Sweet Dean, he doesn't know what's coming. But I look at that and I say, doesn't this reinforce the idea that God is with you and that God is for you? God wants the best for you. God wants to protect you. But it also does this for me. It also gives me a great responsibility to other believers. As a child of God, I have a responsibility to lead other believers to God in their spiritual development. It's our responsibility. Now, now, Jesus is talking to a bunch of adults about becoming children. And then in chapter 19, he begins to talk specifically about children. Okay, So at this point in chapter 19, people have heard about Jesus. People heard about the power of Jesus. And, and so what do they do? It's parents and other people are like, I see these little children. I need to bring my children to Jesus. Because if Jesus has power and he blesses, then I want Jesus to touch my children. I want Jesus to pray over my children. So that's what they were doing. They are bringing children to Jesus. Jesus. And the disciple sees what, what, what's happening. And, and, and Jesus is teaching. He's doing his thing. And the disciples see all these children coming. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus is too busy for this. Y'all are going to have to go do something else for right now because Jesus is so busy. He doesn't have time for these little children. And Jesus sees what's happening. And then he speaks this. He said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Did you hear that? Jesus makes reference and he's speaking specifically to how we lead the next generation. Do not hinder them from coming to Jesus. And as, as a family pastor, 
I really feel the burden and responsibility of raising the next generation to know and follow Jesus. And I'm constantly aware of the things that we can do to hinder the next generation from knowing Jesus. And we do this intentionally and unintentionally. Get this. Get this. Right here it says people were bringing little children to Jesus to have them touch him. Notice something here. It doesn't say parents. Now, I'm sure a lot of parents were bringing people to Jesus, but, but let me tell you, bringing, people to, bringing children to Jesus is for everyone. It's not just for the parent. Bringing pe- uh, children to Jesus is for everyone. The, some of the greatest ministers of all time didn't even have children. Jesus Christ. There's something called the 414 window that I want you to know about. It's Barna Research did this research, and it says this. Majority of Christians come to know Christ between the ages 4 and 14. I don't know about you, but that should motivate us to capture the hearts of the next generation. Here's some other probabilities about them coming to faith. Three-fourths of Christians come to faith before the age of 18. Three-fourths. 43% come to know Christ before the age of 12. Less than a fourth of current believers came to, know Christ, uh, came to know Christ after the age of 21. Just a fourth. That's why we have to be intentional about how we reach the next generation. That's why I believe in kids' ministry and student ministry so much because of that. What I've known over the past year, it's been really difficult. It's been difficult for everybody, for adults, for parents. For the elderly, it's been really difficult, but it's been especially difficult in the next generation as well. There's not a week that doesn't go by where I, didn't, I don't get a phone call from a parent or I don't meet with parents and say, my kids are struggling. My kids are struggling socially. They're struggling spiritually. They're struggling emotionally. And just a few weeks ago, I had a counselor come to me and said, Chase, did you know that last weekend, in one day, in one day, 11 middle school students were admitted to Rolling Hills Psychiatric Hospital? In one day. You know what we need? We need child champions. Now, what's a child champion? You speak up for the value of raising kids to know and follow Jesus. You raise the bar on the importance of family ministry in the life of the church. You raise the bar on the importance of adults volunteering in family ministry in the life of the church, however that may look. I'm I'm obviously a big proponent of that, but you raise the bar. You see, child champions are dependable and they're passionate. You know what we need? We need generational guardians who are investing in kids in their childhood. Because if we don't, guess what's going to happen? And this is the the verse that scares me more than any verse in all the scriptures. Judges 2.10. And it says this. After that, whole generation had gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up and knew neither the Lord or what he had done in Israel. We can't let that happen on our watch. We need them to know the Lord and what he has done and how faithful he has been even though it's been really hard. God is faithful. See, what I love about what we're doing here at the Nolensville campus, we're about to build a building. Woo! And a part of that build is we're building out new kids' space and new student space because we believe in the investment of the next generation. There's not probably a week that goes by where you don't hear kids screaming when Jason's preaching, right? I think I heard one just a minute ago. But you know what that is? It's a great reminder that we are investing in the next generation. That's such a great reminder of of what our role should be as we gather. 
See, we can't do things to hinder the next generation. And here's the thing. I think we unintentionally and intentionally do things to hinder the next generation from knowing the goodness of God. And sometimes we don't even realize it. See, every child is being led. The question is, who are they being led by and to where? So we have to create pathways for our kids to know Jesus. And there's two things I thought of. The first is this. Surround the next generation with a faith community. You see, they need a contagious faith community. They need a faith community that, that we fall in awe and love with Jesus together and they watch us do it. That, that we model that behavior for them because that's what we want to see in them. You see, here's what I think. The, the, here's what I believe. that No matter how spiritually adequate I may be as a parent, that I can't expose my child to communal faith without the church. And no matter spiritually adequate that I may feel um, as a parent... I am not enough. I am not enough. I need other voices to speak into my kids' lives. I need other people to come alongside of me. You know what, Carol Powell, she's the author of a, a book called Sticky Face. She's done a lot of research on the next generation. She said, you know what kids really need? They need a sticky web. They need not, not just their parents, but besides their parents, they need five adults who are going to invest in their spiritual journey of a kid. Five adults to be successful spiritually. And I, I looked at my journey, and I, I look back, and I'm like, okay, whenever I was in elementary school, I had Mr. Doug and Mr. Steve teaching me Bible stories and Bible truths. And then I went to middle school, and I had Mr. Leroy and Miss Ann who helped me see that my identity was in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And then I went to high school, and a guy by the name of Mark Taylor, he would sit knee to knee, to knee with me, eye to eye, and he would say, Chase, I believe God's going to use you in incredible ways. I didn't believe it about myself. But had those people to invest in me. Guess what? We are those people for the next generation. We are those people. The first is surround the next, community, next generation with a faith community. The second is this. Set priorities that allow Jesus to be first. And here are just a few questions I have for you. Do, do our priorities, what do our priorities tell the next generation? What, what steals your time most with the Lord? I think it's just a personal reflection there. What does your relationship with God tell the next generation? Here's a good one and convicting. What do we sacrifice spiritually? What do we sacrifice spiritually for our children's worldly success? Man. Number four is, do, you, do your kids know your faith journey? Do they hear you talk about your faith? Here's what I often tell parents, is that we have a vision statement. Is that Whenever you disciple kids and partner with parents, that means you have stronger families. But I also tell this. I said, we here at Rolling Hills Community Church, we're not interested in graduating nice or good kids. The world can do that. We're interested in graduating kids who are passionate about Jesus. Because the byproduct of that, they look like Jesus, they act like Jesus, they love like Jesus, they treat people like Jesus. That's what we're interested in. So we don't have time to waste. We don't have time to waste. Usually here at, at, um, on, at church, as I talk, at family ministry, I, I give this illustration. I don't know if you guys can see it or not. But um, we use marbles um, at, to illustrate time. 
And the reason why we do that is, is because when you look at this, there's, uh, there's 936 marbles in this jar. And for every marble, it represents a week. And, and guess what? Whenever, you, whenever you, a week passes, you take a marble out. And the reason why we do that is because Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we will gain a heart of wisdom. And we do that so that we would know how much time we have left. Because when you know how much time you have left, you begin to get serious about the time that you have. And so when they get to kindergarten, they have about 678 weeks. Some of you may have a kindergartner. Or, or maybe uh, middle school, you have 365 weeks left, by the way. You get to high school. Freshman year, you have roughly over 200 weeks left in the freshman year to graduation. And, and, and I, I can go through them all, but I'm just going to go through high school here. Okay, so, so about 20 weeks into high school, freshman year, about 20 weeks, what are they doing? They're taking their first exam. And in that first exam, it pretty much determines what the GPA is going to start at. And I didn't know that, by the way. And it might determine whether they go to Harvard or somewhere else. So that was about 20 weeks in. Or or let's go with 50 weeks in. 50 weeks in, they find themselves standing. Parents find themselves standing in line with their children at the DMV. And that's when your prayer life really begins to kick in. Because you hand over the keys to the car. And then about 75 weeks in, maybe they begin their first job, right? And as a parent, you think, man, we're going to save money. But it's probably going to cost you money because they're going to spend that on themselves, and then you have to support whatever else they're doing, right? And then you go week 100, they begin their junior year, and that's when all the college visits happen. They may even bring over a boy that you know, your prayer life goes to another level. And then the proms happen and all that stuff. And then, before you know it, they're wearing a cap and gown, walking the line. And you've lost all your marbles. We tend, when we know how much time we have left, we tend to make the most of the time that we have. We don't have time to waste. What's our responsibility? Now let's go back to Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew 18, chapter 1. Let's go back to the beginning because it says this. It says, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. Here's what I wanted to get. That word among means Surrounded. These people were surrounding Jesus. They wanted to be close to Jesus. Here's the last point. I want you to get this. Because the best thing that you and I can do for the next generation is be close to Jesus. If you want to know how to be great, be close to Jesus. How can you be the greatest? Consider what it means to be the closest. I don't know how you respond. There's probably three things. First is, maybe you're in the room and said, I just need to be a child of God. I've never really considered God as my father. See, what he's interested in is a relationship, not a religion. We've done religion. We're done with that. We want a relationship, an intimate relationship with him. We want to trust Jesus 
with our lives, know that he's forgiving sins because of his sacrifice on the cross. Man, we are leading up to Easter, and that's what Easter is all about. That we trust God. We trust Jesus with our lives, so we have a relation, this child-father relationship with him. Number two is, maybe you've been a believer for a long time. You've just kind of been, ah. And maybe the thing that you need to do is step closer towards Jesus and be next to him and be intimate with him. Spend daily time with him. Increase your prayer life. Join a community group and be connected to God's family. And the third thing is one I'm really passionate about as well. Is that I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do to invest in the next generation. Here's what I truly believe. Every adult that calls Rolling Hills Community Church home should have some investment in, in, in the next generation. I think that's the church is large. Some investment, whether you're praying, whether you're serving in preschool, kids, student, whatever that looks like, we have some part in the next generation, helping the next generation know and follow Jesus. We're not going to be perfect examples. We just have to be intentional. We have a high calling. Let me pray for us as we close out. Father, we love you. We're so grateful that we have the opportunity to call you Father. You are a dad in heaven, that you are a perfect father. You don't leave us. You don't forsake us. You're always present. And your love goes further, faster than we can imagine. God, also help us to know what it looks like to coach, to lead, to train the next generation to know you. Help us to point them to you. Help us to... To model what it looks like to be the church of Jesus to our community and to love one another well. By our actions, help them follow, follow, uh, fall more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and on ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.